0: In the name of the tree. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. One God, Amen. I struggled with this year as every year not knowing what to talk about. And largely in part because with this big ego, one wants to deliver a good word. But also because, as Father Joseph was saying earlier, what do you say? There's there's a line in the Tezbaha that used to strike me as strange and it makes sense to me now in these moments where it says that they when they beheld God they silently uttered his divinity and it made no sense to me how they could silently utter something when the silence is their uttering because there are no words that can be said so a beloved friend and brother told me why do you talk about what you always talk about? And I think that's appropriate. It's appropriate because that's also what the Lord commanded. The Jews, as we just read, in the prophecies of the 11th hour, they had the custom that every year on the Passover, they would reenact the Passover. And there's a tradition that they had among themselves where someone in the household, usually the head of the households or a member, I don't remember exactly who, but somebody would say, why is this night a night different from all others? To which it would be responded, because we were once slaves in the land of Egypt and had been redeemed. And they would retell the story. They didn't need to tell a new story every year. They weren't looking for a new narrative because it's been one narrative. In the beginning was love, and love fashioned for himself his bride, his spouse. And the father was pleased to give the spouse to his son. He endowed the betrothed us humans with everything. She was perfect and the whole people were the spouse of the son. But the people rejected their existence. And the Lord didn't want his betrothed to be forced into the marriage. This is the zooming out, so that we can just revisit the zooming out so that we can arrive at the zooming in of this day. The bridegroom's enemy, the accuser, Satan, that's what his name means, abused the innocence of the betrothed. He played their ignorance to his advantage, convincing the betrothed that the real deceiver was the groom. He stole from the betrothed their birthright. He had them tarnish the image and likeness that they had received. He helped them corrupt it. He had made them damage themselves. He taught them to damage themselves or gave them the idea to damage themselves. And because the betrothed is created, she's corruptible. She's corruptible corruptible because she's made we can't just be. We're, 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 we're in the world of becoming. God is in the world of what is. Their just being it was meant to be exactly like the groom's was. But the betrothed rejected the son and his father. She rejected the indwelling of the spirit. Yes, she was ignorant and she didn't understand completely what she was doing, but she had rejected the home of the beloved. She had turned her back on paradise. She turned her back on the kingdom of heaven because she didn't believe the word. The accuser asked her, do you really think this? Do you really think that the word of God is true? And Eve responded saying, no, she didn't. And then Adam and likewise returned the same answer. So the betrothed chose enmity with the bridegroom, but the bridegroom didn't forsake her. The bridegroom was determined to marry his betrothed to win her over. He would help her even when she had rejected him. He accompanied them, respecting the distance they wanted to keep and still trying to woo them. He explained to them things they ought and ought not to do. And there were things that they remembered before their fall from grace. He told them he wanted the marriage, to, that he hadn't given up on this marriage, that things would have to be fixed because death and life, darkness and light are incompatible. But he was determined to fix that issue. But what they didn't understand was that they had contracted disease and the disease was taking hold of them and they are becoming captive to death. They are becoming prisoners of war to death. You see, the gift of the bridegroom that they didn't realize was immortality and incorruption. The wedding wedding banquet, the wedding feast was intended to last forever. But the people in choosing not to believe, in choosing to reject the bridegroom, chose the natural way, which is mortality. And they gave themselves to be prisoners of war. So who was the tyrant? Well, there was two. The accuser and death. The accuser, Satan, used death to his advantage because unless the souls were of the betrothed were healed, they would not be able to enter the bridegroom's chambers. Until they were fixed, they could not enter into the house. And so the devil uses to advantage because then all who fell under the realm of death fell to him. The disease took them over, and soon they started to behave with lunacy, to the point where they almost went extinct. They were literally killing each other. The bridegroom intervened and tried to restart the life of the betrothed by working with a few people who were healthier. They were still diseased, mind you, but just that they weren't as diseased. But the betrothed still rejected health, they still rejected light, and the world became darker and darker and darker and darker with death. The betrothed became as a diseased person, navigating through the dark, and as the whole people of God rejected the groom, the groom looked to find anybody who might be willing to be faithful to him, that might be willing to commit to their marriage, and he looked and he beheld Abraham, and he saw in him a man who could be found to be faithful, a man who was willing to offer up his own son if but the bridegroom told him to. And actually the bridegroom had no desire for the blood of his children or for the blood of his spouse. And he made a covenant with Abraham and said, if you are faithful to me, I'll remain faithful to you and I will heal you and we will be married and I will reconcile you to my father and to the Holy Spirit whom you have spurned. But I, I will engage on this rescue mission because it's I who made you and I who fashioned you. And Abraham brought forth seed. He brought forth Jacob who had the 12 tribes. We know the story and we read the story of Joseph who finds himself in Egypt. And then the people of God are seemingly sold into slavery. And with a strong hand, with an outstretched arm, the lover of mankind, the bridegroom rescues his people, slaying the Egyptians and their firstborn, leading them throughout the land of Egypt, parting the seas with a pillar of light by night and a cloud by day, guiding them. He saved them from their land, he fed them in the wilderness, and yet the bridegroom's betrothed still rejected him. She made for herself Images of gold, a golden cow. She complained when God gave them food. She complained when God didn't give them food. She complained if God gave them water. And she complained if they thought God wasn't going to give them water. And yet the bridegroom remained faithful. And he understood that the reason for their growing in this was because they were diseased. That the darkness around them was growing immensely. And that they were not healthy. And so the Lord gave to them the law. He said, here's how to navigate the dark that you live in. Here's how to live as if there was light. It also showed them what health was supposed to look like. The bridegroom didn't stop communicating with them. Even though, even though the betrothed had demanded a breakup, the bridegroom never chose not to rescue his, his betrothed. Then the people were taught to offer sacrifice. They didn't understand what this was a symbol of because it was still a work in progress. The Lord was going to enter into time to fix it. And he said, here's your antidote and here's your elixir. Here's your medicine so that you can function until I rescue you, until I heal you by doing something that nobody, nobody in the heavens or the earth other than the Holy Trinity could have imagined that the Lord would have thought to do. But these remedies, these sacrifices, they were just that. They were just medicines. They weren't healing them. They were just keeping them functional. And he established for them teachers to help them to live healthy and to help provide for them light in the darkness that they were. But as long as they remained in the covenant, there would be a shining light through this Ark of the Covenant, there'd be a shining light of God on their place that they, at the very least in all of the world might be the ones who could see. And so we appointed for them judges to help them. But the people rejected the judges, as it says in the book of Judges, and everyone did what was right in his own sight during those times. And then the people demanded a king, as we said already, rejecting the bridegroom saying, I don't want you to be master of my house. I don't want you to be Lord of my house. We would like to be Lord of our house. And in his great humility, the bridegroom said, be, be the head of the household, no problem. But will you just be faithful to me? But alas, they were not faithful and they abused the light that they had and they abused the medicines that they had. And they started to say that the medicines were things that they made. And they started to say that the medicines and the, and, and the light that they received were from other gods and from other lovers. And they started to proclaim that these were gifts from the other spouses. And in jealousy, holy jealousy, the bridegroom looked and heaved and sighed and said all the things that we've talked about this week at his bride, at his betrothed. The betrothed that deserved that deserved to be cut off, but he refused. He had sworn by himself that he would rescue his bride. And so the people went into exile. And the Lord, the bridegroom was so sad to see his children in exile, to see them become more sick that he redeemed them and returned them to their earthly home and allowed them to rebuild the temple that they had made and demanded him to live in. Those were his particular people. But we forget that the Gentiles were the people of God too. Forget that the bridegroom wanted to marry all of humanity. He didn't care to only marry a small group. He was hoping to the small group that he would reveal to the whole world his love. And so these other people of God went their own separate way too. They went into idolatry. They went into paganism. They went into all the different things that they did. And yet the Lord was coming to rescue all. His betrothed was living in darkness separated from one another. They invented new grooms. They invented new meanings of life. None of them remained faithful to who they were. The groom, however, was still wanting his bride so badly even when she would reject, even when all of them were romancing other men, he was determined to win her love. He knew that the reason for all their ignorance was this disease and that this disease was a product of choice. But our groom had expressed his choice before the foundations of the earth. He expressed his choice, his love. Because that is what choice is. He had chosen to be the solution. In choosing to be a solution, he was choosing to be the healer, to be the savior. He was choosing death. And so the light shone in darkness. The groom emptied himself and took the form of man, humiliating himself, accepting to himself what was not his own, not his own nature. This is the incarnation. Said differently, the Lord became the way because the Lord is the way. The way is not a set of moral principles. That's not That's not what the way is. The way is literally the way, he's the path, it's a person. And so the groom really experienced our experience. He denied himself of what's his right by nature. The groom went into the darkness to become the remedy. He thought his equality with God not to be exploited. So what must he do? He must unite mortality to his immortality. He must unite diseased man to his unblemished self in order to heal it. He was going to enter the prison camp where the people were held prisoner. And he was going to fulfill the debt of death in order that he might slay it. And in so doing, he would liberate liberate them from their death, liberate them from disease, and humiliate their accuser. But he did more than this. He submitted himself to his betrothed, And she abused him. So far into their disease were they that they had gone mad. They mistook their creator and bridegroom for different things. Some called him liar. Some called him the accuser himself. Others worse. And we see in his incarnation all of history being enacted through him. He showed love to all. The woman caught in adultery, she was like Eve, caught in her sin, held up by her accuser, Satan, saying, look, look what she did. And the betrothed took on the role of accuser. The Lord had not come to condemn, and he refused to accuse her, and he liberated her her who was caught in sin. He was friends with the traders, the tax collectors, those who had forsaken the views of their kinsmen, their own people to serve the pagan enemies. But he didn't stop with that. He healed Romans, he healed the Roman centurion skid. He healed Samaritans. He entered into their camp gave himself freely and declared himself openly. There is no place the betrothed wouldn't go, including hell, to rescue his bride. He was going to be the way for all. the light is the way. And why is he truth, as he told us last night? Because who he is. He is how things literally are. He's just what is, and the reason that we are. He was light and the way because he's true. Because it's how things are. Truth is truth. There is no simpler way of putting it. Something is true or false. How did he become the way? Through humiliation. Shamed by his own people, the Jews and the Gentiles. This morning we saw the Jews manipulate Pilate by threatening Pontius Pilate with an accusation of disloyalty to Rome, saying, well, our king is Caesar. The Gentiles turned on him. The disciples turned on him. He was shamed before the devil, who was reveling in the moment. And he walked the shameful walk of crucifixion. Crucifixion is not, um, it's not a clean scene like we have in the pictures. It's a little bit of blood trickling down. Crucifixion was a shame walk where the accused had to walk around with his cross while everybody cursed and jeered and wagged their heads at them. Wagging their heads was a sign of shaming. They were usually naked. Those condemned often had family members murdered in front of them while elevated on the cross so that they would be able to watch it and not do anything about it. Sometimes they were very violently stabbed and in ways that's not appropriate to talk about from the pulpit, even though it's what would happen. So our Lord allowed himself to be subject to the most accursed, the most hideous, the most shameful way of dying that was available at their time to all of humanity accursed and accused by none other than his fiance. Look at this groom. He takes it. He is incapable of not loving the bride. Look at this groom who even when his betrothed is kicking and fighting the remedy, he doesn't forsake her. He knows They don't understand. He pleads with the Father on their behalf saying, forgive them. This is my bride that you have given me. They don't understand yet, but I will make all things new. I will heal them because they are mine and mine are yours. And mine are mine because they are yours. My bride is poor. She is sick. She's enslaved. She can't afford to marry me. She's not well enough to marry me. So I I will make her rich. And I will make her whole. And I will free her. The gift that was given to the betrothed at the day of her becoming human, the Holy Spirit, your spirit, O Father, and mine, says the Lord, when she is healed, she can have the spirit again because I received it on their behalf. They will not be subject to death because I have subjected myself to death and conquered it. And they will be allowed back into our kingdom, Father, because I have entered the kingdom on their behalf with their flesh, the veil that was between us and them, my Father. Tear it down that there no longer be any barrier, any screen between us and our people. This is our groom. He reigns from the tree. The reed in his hand is the sign of his humiliation. The crown on his head is the sign of his suffering. Because he is all love, he is all self-emptying. His existence is freedom because he is able to choose. And he chose us. He chose us at the expense of his own life. He chose us and thus chose humiliation. What makes the love so real is that it was chosen not forced. Nobody could take his life. He laid it down himself. And that's why his blood is life-giving. Because it's his immortal, divine self united to his body. It's the gold on the Ark of the Old Testament. The wood had no value until it was overlaid with gold. When the wood was overlaid with gold, it became beautiful. His blood is life-giving because it is the blood of the Lord incarnate. God suffered because it was God's body. What a great mystery. How do you partake? How is this the way? you must first believe him. You must believe the bridegroom. We failed in the garden because we didn't believe him when when the accuser asked us, do you believe? We said, no. That's why he pleaded with the disciples, do you believe? That's why in his farewell speech, he kept saying, believe me, I ask you, believe me when I tell you that I am from the Father. He asks us to believe. Because if we believe, he said in his farewell speech, then he asks us to follow. He said, where I'm going, you can't follow now, but you will follow me later. Where is the Lord to where we will follow? Watch and see. And this is what we watched and saw today. We must follow him into his death in order to emerge on the other side, alive. We enter poor, diseased, enslaved, and we exit rich and whole and alive. This is crazy talk to most, but it's a, it's a historical reality. A man named Jesus really died and he really rose. Stop and think about that. Think about whether you can fathom that or not and ask yourself, do you believe? But our groom is saying, Follow me, my love, follow me. Follow me and I will turn your darkness to light and your sorrows to joy. I will fight your fights. I will win your wars. I will heal you. Just please, I beg you, I've staked my life on this. I've given my life for this, for the whole world. Love me. Choose Me. Our groom has been faithful. Our groom has not turned his back. Our groom is he who stands, elevated from the throne of the wood of the cross, with outstretched arms, embracing his betrothed from the throne of wood, with that crown on his head, the nails in him and the wounds saying, I give myself to you. I give myself to you beloved. I have loved you and known you from before the foundation of the earth. In me, you will find life in abundance. I give it to you willingly. That is he. He said, when I have been lifted up and have my hands outstretched, then you will know that I am he. That is he, Christ, our true bridegroom. To him is glory, honor, majesty, and might, now and forever and unto the age of all ages. Amen. Christ our Saviour suffering that through his passion he may save us, let us glorify him. And exalt his name, for he has had mercy on us, according to his great mercy. We now will be doing Kyrie 400 times, 100, 100 to the from the east then to the west then from the north to the south i encourage you all from your homes to involve your family and children yourselves to do as many prostrations as you can while doing them to show the bridegroom our devotion to ask for his forgiveness for our unfaithfulness to pray for the whole world and we face all the directions proclaiming to all nations that our glory and our boast and our dignity is found in the bridegroom who has been crucified. This will be followed by a procession done to Kira done in the the long tune. And then the Lord allows us to participate in his burial. Singing the ancient hymn of burial that used to be sung to ancient pharaohs at their deaths, but that we baptized and made Christian the tradition of the church.